Welcome to the Business of Agriculture with me, your host, Damian Mason. Thanks for joining us. As usual, got a big show, got an exciting show, got an entertaining show, mostly got a really, really informative show. As you know, every time you tune in here, we talk about the business of agriculture, things that impact you as an agriculturist, food, fuel, fiber, and today, land ownership. That's right, we're talking about you, the rural landowner and why it is that our neighbors from suburbia and the cities sometimes think what's yours is theirs. So again, as you know, we talk all about the issues that impact you. We talk about all about things that will make you a better business person. We want to keep you informed with insights on the business of agriculture. Well, let's face it, as agricultural people, land is our most precious asset. You hear me talk about soil, hear me talk about soil erosion, hear me talk about things we can do to be more profitable with our assets. Well, let's face it, we own land. A lot of people don't. People in town own a quarter of an acre or less. People in suburbia own a half acre maybe. We own hundreds and thousands of acres in agriculture. And we're oftentimes approached by people who have a bit of a disconnect with what their view of land ownership is in yours. For instance, if you went and camped out in their front yard, had a fire going, or out there roasting wieners, cutting firewood down from one of their front trees, or their maple tree out front, they'd go bananas. You'd get called, the police would be called on you. But we sometimes have that experience as rural landowners. That's what we're talking about today. I've got a special guest that's gonna be joining me here in just a little bit. But we're talking about land ownership and recreational use, sometimes by permission, sometimes by lease, sometimes by trespassers. That's what we're talking about here today. Let me tell you how this all started. Uh, about a month ago, I put on social media a post. It was a picture of me and my signs that I made up years ago uh, for the home farm. To give you a little backstory, my mom was quite old and not doing well, and she had been taken advantage of. I moved back to the area, bought my own farm a couple miles north of where I was raised, and started taking over the management. My mom was being taken advantage of by trespassers, by every Tom, Dick, and Harry banging on the door asking for permission uh, to go on her land, to go hunting. She was being uh, taken advantage of by a local business owner, owned a bait shop in Huntington, Indiana for 30-some years, and that whole entire time used my mom and dad's property like it was their own. I wasn't really very appreciative of that. In fact, uh, I took care of those things. Never gave one dime in compensation, which brings me to the point here. Why is it we have this asset, but we're bashful? We're bashful about asking for compensation. So we're going to get into that today. Managing liability. We have a lot of exposure out here. Uh, and we also need to think about standing up for what's ours. So my signs, I put a picture on social media. I made them years ago that said hunting privileges on this property are reserved for the family that worked their whole life to pay for it. So that got quite a bit of bump on social media, quite a bit of outcry. In fact, I even had some people that did not like my signs. So we're going to talk about hunting, fishing, hiking, biking, snowmobiling, ATV riding, as it relates to land ownership in you, because that's part of the business of agriculture. You've got to manage that. But I have a very special guest that's going to join us. Guy I've known since I was a child. Played sports together, lived together at one point. Now he is an attorney. He has a really thriving law practice in Warsaw, Indiana. He's a hunter and an outdoorsman himself. In fact, he and I go hunting together. So we're very good friends. We also go hunting, fishing, 
and hiking together. We spend time in the outdoors. We're outdoorsy people. So when we say we're against you hunting on our property, it doesn't mean we're against hunting. It means we want to protect it for ourselves. And we also, if you're a rural landowner, we want to give you some thoughts on how you can protect yourself, manage your liability, and maybe make a dollar or two off of what's yours. Welcome to the show, Scott Royst. Scott Royst, attorney at law and now friend of mine and guest on the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, Damian Mason. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Damian. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, discussing this topic. I think we can provide your listeners with a lot of useful information. I believe you can. That's why you're here. Scott, for those of you that are listening uh, and, and saying, okay, wait a minute, this is Damien's friend. This is his hunting buddy. This is his fishing buddy. It's also an attorney and who knows a lot about the law, but especially as it relates to this. He's done these kinds of leases. He's done criminal law. He's done corporate law. He's done agricultural law. He's also married to a farm girl who is a farm owner who owns property in the state of Indiana. Mind you, when we talk a little bit about some of the issues, we've got to give you the perspective from Indiana. That's where we live. Some of the legal vernacular will change where you live. But, Scott, you've got a farm wife. You've got a farm girl, owner of a farm. You've been around ag a lot. Initial thoughts on this topic? Well, you were talking earlier about the disconnect between rural landowners and maybe some of the suburbians. I think uh, rural landowners they know their neighbors, they know each other, they certainly know the other families around, and uh, they've spent a long time being concerned about maintaining great relationships with their neighbors. I think that's probably not as often concerned about in town. Um, additionally, with the litigation society we live in, I think everyone's worried about being sued. And when you take these, people are asking you permission to hunt on your land, um, you have to worry about that yourself. It's certainly not just litigation being sued. I think you have to worry about how your guests uh, that use your land might impact your neighbors, that they're respectful to them, that uh, they're not doing things that are unappreciated in your neighborhood. So while we're talking about respect, one thing that struck me, even some farm people uh, got crazy with my social media post that I was rude with my signs. And I'll admit they were a little bit um, unsubtle uh, telling people to buy their own land if they wanted to go hunting. But the reality is we were just pushed and my mom was being taken advantage of. But it does bring up a bigger point. There's a sometimes an entitlement mentality about using someone else's rural property for recreation as though, why would you care? You don't go hunting anyhow. You're a corn farmer. Why can't I go over here and use your 10 acres of woods? Have you noticed this entitlement mentality? I have. I think um, there's sort of a belief for some people that uh, they're doing a farmer a favor if they're ridding his land of this overabundance of animals. Um, uh, I think it's also interesting you give someone permission of your land and I've seen you've dealt with this. I've been around when you've dealt with this. People sometimes become very upset if you give them permission to use your land and it's not an exclusive use to use your land. They have opinions about how you may use your land or how your other guests may use your land. Yeah, it's an interesting thing that uh, they own uh, a quarter of acre of their own, and then when you have 200 acres, 40 of it's wooded, and you say, yeah, all right, I'll let you uh, go squirrel hunting out there. And the next thing you know, they're mad that someone else um, was allowed to go there, even though you didn't have any kind of exclusive agreement. There is a bit of an entitlement mentality that we as landowners run across with some people. All right, I want to talk about this other thing. Scott, attorney at law. Agriculture familiarity is tremendous. Also, you understand 
uh, all the issues that we deal with out here as rural landowners. Why is it, you know, if I have somebody that's out here fishing in my pond, which I've had, uh, Ill, you know, people that trespass to fish here. I've had the people that are traipsing around in my woods, shooting animals. I've had people on snowmobiles, four-wheelers, traipsing across my land. And I'm just supposed to ask them to leave. But but, but that's a several hundred thousand dollars of real estate I'm talking about. You know, there's a chunk of woods not too far from here that sold for $42.50 an acre. There's 40 acres of woods. That's $170,000. If I had a $170,000 lake cottage, and I showed up one weekend and there's people just hanging out in my lake cottage, I would make sure that they were prosecuted and they would go to jail. But with, with, with real estate out here in the rural countryside, we're expected to not do that. I think a, a lot of that has to do with, I think rural people are used to handling their own business. They maybe think they take care of matters themselves when uh, in these kind of things, maybe it is appropriate to get the sheriff involved. Um, there's certainly a lot of legal repercussions for people trespassing. Um, I think it's also a very political thing. Uh, somebody who owns an expensive vacation home thinks they have some political clout and is not shy about calling uh, who they think they may need to call to make sure that someone is prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law for uh, trespassing on their vacation home. I don't, I don't personally see people in rural America, particularly farmers, uh, involving the authorities quite like people do with their vacation homes. Do you recommend that? Okay, let's go back to this. Uh, we know, if I just use that example right there, 4000 and some odd dollars for an acre of wooded land. And we know what tillable farmland is worth around my part of the world. So if you're talking about, you know, you, I've got 20 acres of it, you're still talking about, you know, $100,000 of real estate. And the idea that you shouldn't be opposed to someone traipsing across it or setting up a deer stand or riding their snowmobile through it is kind of ludicrous to me because I think there's, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of rural real estate that's owned by these farm people that are owners, and they're just expected to turn a blind eye or turn the other cheek and allow that to happen. What are your thoughts? Well, I think some of it goes back to the perception. Um, I think people don't perceive that you would give someone permission to uh, lay out on their pontoon boat or uh, have a campfire on their beach at their lake house. Um, I think there's an expectation that uh, a farmer's rural property is wooded acres. His, his recreation areas um, are just open and available for the, the person who is either there to ask or there to trespass. Yeah, well, the problem with that is is that in one one day back in the old days, that may have been only worth a few hundred dollars per acre, and that's not the case anymore. We're talking about a substantial, significant amount of money, and it goes back to the entitlement mentality, but also a little bit of ignorance. When you want to say, "Well, you know, what there is a make that's just some wooded land, that's just some uh, that's just some rough uh, scrubby ground over there." Well, it's still also a significant asset when you think about the money involved there. Uh, you recommend that ag landowners prosecute? I do. I think that uh, it's good for everyone in the community to have a, a good relationship with their sheriff if they can. I think prior to the hunting season, it'd be a good idea to try to make an effort to contact your sheriff and let them know that you're having these kind of problems or you anticipate having these kind of problems. I think they're familiar with that and get the sheriff's perspectives on 
how they might like you to deal with it, who they would have you call. Um, certainly, I think having that exchange before it becomes a problem with uh, your sheriff's department could, could really be helpful. That way they know that you're looking to be part of the solution, not calling just to be part of a problem. Talking to Scott Royst, my very, very good friend, a guy I go hunting with, and he's also an attorney with Rock Hill Pinnock. He does agricultural law, corporate law, criminal law, and he also understands outdoorsy issues. And he's married to a woman that is from a farm and owns farm land. We know all about this. We're talking about your land ownership issues here in the business of agriculture and why is it we have recreational usage problems. All right, land is expensive. This is something I think, oh, and by the way, before we get into that issue, it's probably important to say, we all in the Midwest at least can relate. The worst trespassers of them all are mushroomers. Anybody listening right now, I want you to, I want you to send me an email. If you've had no problem at all with snowmobilers, fishermen, hunters, or ATV riders, but man, oh man, every year, the people that come out for the fungus. There's something about finding fungus that makes people convinced they can go anywhere. It's really remarkable. Okay, land is expensive. And, and it is. I mean, land is expensive. I travel all over North America, from Canada to, you know, to California to Connecticut. Land is expensive. More than it's ever been. Okay, it's down 20-some-odd percent from, what, from its high a few years ago, but it's still very expensive. I don't think it's unusual or unreasonable that a property owner should seek a return on that investment. Scott Royst, tell me this. We've got options out here to get some money from here. From our land. And I'd say it's rent, it's barter, it's trade. I want you to give me your thoughts on all three. So I've got some farmland. I want to make some money off it. And here's the thing, listeners, you own this property. If you owned 80 acres of farmland and someone's going to put sugar beets or soybeans or sweet corn on it, they would pay you cash rent. Why would it not be the same for wooded land, pasture land? scrub land, brush land, Rocky Mountain land, anything you own is an asset and it's not unreasonable that you should ask for a return. That's our statement. Mr. Scott, answer me this. What do you recommend? I want to get some return on my property. Well, in the last 15 years, um, hunting leases have become big business. It's a big business here in Indiana. There are numerous hunting lease operations that are, are are pretty well run. They'll uh, help the, the landowner from start to finish. They will find customers. They'll prepare the leases. They'll prepare the documents. They'll help secure liability packages. Uh, here in the state of Indiana, currently it appears there's a, a, a fairly wide range of, of value to a, to a hunting lease, but it seems to be in the range of $30 per acre per year on the low end up to maybe $50 or $60 per acre per year on the highland end for a hunting lease. Um, most of these hunting leased operations will allow you to set the rules that you want to have, such as you can put a maximum of how many hunters are allowed to hunt there uh, per season, uh, how people might use their ATVs, where they may park, those kind of things. Uh, I think it, it's, it's a pretty good advice to either get advice from an attorney or one of these uh, hunting lease operations. They, they make it pretty painless. Uh, they've been in the business. They know some of the concerns. They have generally good lease agreements. They will have their lease agreement uh, indemnify the landowner against uh, any actions that might come against them. Um, I think it, it's simpler than most people think. If you want to lease your property for 
for hunting recreation. There's certainly uh, a number of businesses out there that would like to talk to you and give you that opportunity. By the way, that's fantastic. And if you're, if you say, Hey man, I'm out here and I'd like to know how to find one of these places. They could just Google, they Google hunting lease uh, arrangements. Do they send you an email? What do they do? Here in Indiana, you Google hunting lease arrangements, you'll probably get 20, 30 different, uh, some of them are multi-state, some of them are here local, some of them are uh, been in business for, like I said, up to 15 years. Um, there's all kinds of information available on the internet. And, and you're hearing folks, the great thing here is, this is Scott Royst, Rock Hill Pinnock, a law firm out of Warsaw, Indiana. He is an outdoorsman himself, and he also is my best friend that I go hunting with and fishing with. So he's talking about stuff he knows what he's talking about here. Saying $36, $32 to $6 an acre in our part of the world, you could get for hunting uh, privileges. Now, again, we don't know about fishing, we don't know about riding your snowmobile or whatever, but it's always the same thing. It's about access that you're granting on a legal arrangement to use your asset. It's just like if you rented out the, the hay field, the pasture, or the ground that they're going to grow corn on. It's the same thing that we're talking about. The thing about this lease outfit is by doing this, you now are limiting your liability. And is there anything, before we get into the, the liability issue, is there anything else about leases that our listeners would want to know about? Well, it, the law here in Indiana is uh, to hunt on private property, you must have the consent of the landowner or the tenant. So I think that's a really good opportunity, even if you're not interested in uh, having a lease agreement with the people that you allow to hunt on your property, that you at least have a uh, permission to hunt on private land document. Uh, here in Indiana, they, they put a permission to hunt on private land form right inside the Indiana Hunting and Trapping Guide Recreation Guide. Uh, I think that's uh, the easiest thing someone here in Indiana could do is just get one of those hunting and trapping guides, find the page in there where it's a permission to hunt on private land. Uh, it has a spots for the person you're given permission to, to sign. It gives place for you to sign and it uh, reiterates a lot of the, the legal things that pertain to liability as to being a hunter on that land. And I think at a minimum, people should uh, have people they're given permission to hunt on their, uh, their property, uh, take the time to do something like that. All right, so I'm assuming if that's in this state where we live, probably in your state, you might get a hold of the Department of Natural Resources or Department of Fish and Game, whatever it's called in your geography, and look at the hunting regulations or go on their website in your particular state, and they probably have the exact same thing, a permission to hunt private land form. And by doing that, it says, yes, you have the permission. It also gives a certain amount of I'm not liable. Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly. Okay. And speaking of liability, and this is for anybody, because obviously we talk about the business of agriculture here, and you've heard me say at the beginning of the show, land and real estate is generally every farm owner's most valuable asset. I mean, this is something we, we all love it, you know. We just would cringe at the idea that we're going to lose this to some, you know, some yokel that comes out here and, you know, strangles himself while he's jumping the fence and, you know, pulls the trigger and, and kills his, his hunting buddy. And next thing you know, you got two deaths on your property and then somehow the, the extended family sues you. I keep a tremendous uh, amount of insurance and I think we all should. On your farm owner's policy, you've got a, a bunch of liability. And then we go above and beyond that. And we have a $2 million 
umbrella insurance policy, which I'm sure Scott Royce here, uh, my attorney friend, would recommend everybody go above and beyond when it comes to liability insurance. Yeah? Certainly. Um, one thing you're talking about, liability. Here in, in Indiana, uh, in 2011, Indiana passed laws to uh, protect agritourism from liability. And uh, Indiana recognized that certainly uh, our rural businessmen, some of our farmers, they had a great opportunity to provide agritourism and they wanted to pass statutes and laws to protect them from liability. Generally, when we think of agritourism, we might think of wineries or Christmas tree farms, pumpkin patches, corn mazes, apple orchards, uh, beehives, those kind of things. But uh, hunting and fishing are defined as agritourism under Indiana law. Um, you know, natural resource-based activities, including hunting and fishing are considered agritourism activities and the Indiana statute is very clear that agritourism providers um, are not responsible for the injuries that result from the inherent risks of engaging in agritourism. So I think that has really helped uh, promote agritourism here in Indiana from again the wineries and the apple orchards and the pumpkin patches and to include hunting and fishing activities in that I think that was really insightful for the Indiana legislature to do. Um, it's had an impact on insurance companies. It's brought down some of the liability policies that, a, that a, uh, an owner may need to have when they're considering having people hunt on their land or giving- so Now, answer me this. You obviously, we say this all the time. Uh, you can still be sued. We all know you can be sued tomorrow. Anybody can go and file a lawsuit. What this law does is it uh, essentially makes that lawsuit not nearly as valid, right? It specifically states that uh, if you are engaged in the business of agritourism, that those people are given a warning. You generally can post it right there on your property. You've seen it, uh, I'm sure, when you've gone to horse shows, different places like that, that they post warnings um, that tell people there are inherent risks with this activity. Uh, your participation in this, you waive any liability that would result from the inherent risks that are certainly present when you go hunting or go fishing somewhere. So I think that's been an enormous help. Uh, I'm sure other states have promoted their agritourism as well. And I, I'm, I, I'm guessing there's an opportunity for the laws in other states to help people. As well. Okay. Let's say you let the, uh, you let the people that uh, you know uh, ride their four wheelers or their snowmobiles across the property. Same thing. Is it agritourism? It would be, you do not have to charge people for it to be agritourism. The law is clear on that, that you don't have to make a profit. You don't have to, to charge somebody. Again, though, I think uh, some of it is, it doesn't take that much time to uh, have the waivers available. It's a shame that it's had to come to that, but to get a signature and to, to cover yourself with um, permission slips that include the warnings, the agritourism warnings, that they sign and they are made aware of uh, your limits of liability, I think is very helpful. And again, as you said before, I think having a good relationship with your insurance provider so that you can uh, be certain that you've covered yourself and the liability there. And not just yourself, keep in mind if you have a guest on your property and they create a problem for someone else, uh, you wanna ideally hope that they're insured the guests that you've brought to your property because as you know in, in the litigation society people will sue everybody not just the person who maybe caused the problem 
certainly the deep pocket landowner who gave them permission to be there to begin with. Okay, say uh, we got listeners out here, they're saying, all right, I get all that, but I've got a guy I've known since high school and he brings his son and daughter out and they go hunting, uh, they go fishing, they ride a, a their Polaris Ranger back to my woods. Uh, and I've just known the guy for a long time. I don't have any any lease with him. Uh, you know, he, he and I are friends and he also gives me a gift card that my wife and I go to you know, dinner a couple times a year on. What's the, is there any, is there any liability different there? I would say no. Okay. Okay. Rent, barter, trade. I want to point out that some people say, man, I'm not comfortable uh, doing this lease thing. I just, you know, I've only got, you know, 19 acres of recreational property. It's got a little pond on it. I don't do any of that stuff. I want the neighbor guys to come and bring his kids. That's cool. Now, it's not out of the question. You should ask for something in trade, but I will caution you, dear listener, that a lot of people will tell you they're going to do a lot of things for you when they want to take their kids fishing. And they'll use the kids as little uh, sympathy getters also. You know, oh, my, my son doesn't get anywhere to go hunting. My daughter's never been fishing. I will just tell you, this happened to me, lots of people will promise you that they're going to come over and they're going to help you plant uh, trees. They're going to help you uh, trim back brush. They're going to help you do a lot of stuff. And they amazingly will never find the first free minute to do those things. But every time you look out on your pond, your woods, or your, uh, your playground, they'll have all kinds of minutes that are free to go and do those things. So my experience is this idea that you would get trade out of somebody, I would put it in writing also. You're going to mow my yard. You're going to take care of uh, this job for me in exchange. Uh, now, does that change the liability thing, Scott? No, I, I don't think it does. The, you know, you're, you still have people on your property. And, and again, we're in a litigious society. One thing I would point out when you're having people uh, as guests on your property, thing, things are different. Um, certainly, I think some of the so-called city kids maybe uh, may need more supervision with certain activities than those children who grew up on a farm and, and know uh, to stay away from the bull, no to uh, be careful climbing over barbed wire, no to uh, not point a gun towards the house, those kind of things. I think um, some people, you, as a landowner, I think you got to be really confident that whoever you have on the property is, is properly supervised or has the experience to be doing what they're doing. Talking to Scott Royst, Rock Hill Pinnock Law Firm. He does agriculture law, corporate law, criminal law. He understands the issues we're talking about. And we're talking about protecting your asset and really covering your ass. We're talking about your land and its use in a recreational standpoint. That's a big impact. Hey, a couple of things that Scott and I go hunting together. We go fishing together. We are outdoorsy guys. I think it's important also, if you're a non-landowner that happens to be listening to this show, we're not against you. In fact, we are you. We enjoy the outdoors. Piece of advice I would give anybody, and if you are a landowner, you can write these things down and share them with the person that you share your property with. My advice, you want to use someone else's property in the country for hunting, fishing, snowmobiling, four-wheeling, cutting firewood, whatever that thing should be, taking walks with your, with your husband or wife. Offer something for that. This land is not free. Offer something in return. Number, you know, even a gift card. Uh, uh, going out and working a couple of times. Number two, voluntarily, voluntarily put up 
uh, agreement that absolves that landowner of liability. If, you know, granted, here in Indiana, we've already got the agritourism law, but be willing to do that. Hey, listen, I know, I know that you don't want to lose your farm, uh, so I'm going to put up this, uh, you know, paperwork that says that you're not legally culpable. You know, pick up after yourself. Every, every farm property we ever farmed, the ones that we rented, everything else, people traipsed across them and dropped their trash right where they got done with their Coke or their, uh, their beer can or whatever it was. Another thought, friends of friends whose cousin's uncle said it was okay to fish, ride, hunt. Oh, for crying out loud. Every landowner has been burned by this. Who are you? Well, I didn't think you cared because I talked to Bobby Snodgrass's aunts, uncles, friends, neighbor. If somebody gives you permission, it does not mean permission for you and 19 other people. And then lastly, do not damage the crops. This is how we make a living out here in the country, folks. And you know what? Crops also might mean trees. The person that used my mom and dad's property for 30 years and never paid them one nickel did hack on tree stands onto every red oak on the property. I've got a dozen worthless red oak trees now because that person hacked tree stands onto them. You know what? It's not your tree, but it's mine, and it would have been worth money. You damaged it. Those are our thoughts on land ownership, recreational land. Scott, you've got a couple more things I'm sure you want to leave our listeners with about land ownership, recreational use, granting that right to somebody who wants to go hunting, fishing, riding, hiking on your property. Thoughts? I think you need to keep in mind that the law is just not a weapon that will be used against you. You know, being sued and being engaged in litigation against you. Law can also be your tool. You can use the law to help you have a good contract or a good lease. You can use the law to, to put together good waivers. Um, a little bit of precaution. I think they say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I would encourage everybody to do that. Um, I think, again, the law can be your, your tool just as well as it could be the weapon. Thank you very much. Anything else? That's all I have. Thanks That's for having all me. You have. All right. You're listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. Today, we talked all about land ownership, recreational usage of that land by others, how to protect your assets and you cover your ass. This was Scott Royce, my good friend, hunting partner, fishing partner with Rock Hill Pinnock Law Firm in Warsaw, Indiana. Again, a lot of what we talked about is pertinent to Indiana, but it probably relates very similarly to your state. Do check it out. Do look into it on your own. Do your homework. We want you to protect yourself. It's fall. We know this is going to be an issue. Thanks a lot for joining us. Tune in next time. We'll talk about the business of agriculture. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Damien.